Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. More young people than ever before are accessing pornography, and with more frequency, according to research by the Office of Film and Literature Classification. A survey of 14 to 17-year-olds last year found 75% of boys and 58% of girls under 17 have seen porn, and a quarter of them had done so by the age of 12 or younger. The Light Project is a charitable trust set up by a small team of sexual and public health experts to help youth, families, schools and wider communities to positively navigate the new porn landscape. Joe Robertson is the research and training lead for the Light Project and is in the Auckland studio. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Tell me more about the work you do at the Light Project. Oh, it's good work. Um, so what we do is essentially we kind of uh, look at all the international research and we try and make sense of that. And then we look at the New Zealand research and com- compare the two, I guess. Uh, and then essentially we created resources to try and equip community groups. So that might be sexual health providers, education providers, uh, parent groups uh, who want to start the conversation in their sector. And then we go out into those different groups and we train them on the changing landscape around pornography and what they can do in their space. And who's the we? I think you're a registered charity, but but yes. who are the professionals who, who are part of what you're doing? Uh, so there's four of us, and we all come from different sectors, which is which makes for a really rich experience. Uh, so I come from a therapeutic background, so I did my master's in sex therapy. Uh, and then I had another colleague, Nikki Denham, she worked in public health. She's been in the public health sector for a really long time, working uh, particularly in the female genital mutilation space. Uh, then another colleague, she had been in the police and is now in the business sector. Uh, and then another Another uh, amazing person, um, Leif Pearson, who was a sexual assault nurse working on the forensic assessments. So now that you've established, you've done the literature review, looked at what's happening in New Zealand, I I think there's been at least one major project undertaken here. Uh, Mm. Porn young people, what do we know? What, What do we know about their experiences in New Zealand? Yeah, I mean, that was a great piece of research. Uh, We all kind of waited in anticipation about what that would reveal. Um, And, you know, you said some of it before, that we saw 75% of boys and 58% of girls uh, had seen porn before 17. Um, It also showed quite early exposure, uh, so a quarter of young people were seeing porn at 12 or younger, those who had seen porn. Uh, And when you just look at the um, boy data, you see that it actually goes to one in three. Um, So a third of the boys seeing before, essentially before they hit their sex ed at college. So that being the situation, and could we all agree probably what they can access online is vastly different, as I was alluding to Mm. earlier in the hour, to what you could find pre the internet, which might be some dirty magazines and maybe get your hand on some videotapes um, (laughs) of of probably uh, what is dubbed soft porn. 
what they are able to access now is in a different league. So different. Uh, And it's really important for adults to get a handle on that. Uh, You know, even the case for me, when I was at school, porn was available at the local video store, you know, at United Video or Video Easy, and there was like a red velvet curtain. Behind the curtain. Yeah, it was. I remember. I remember trying to kind of see what was happening in the secret room. Um, But yeah, so now they can access freely uh, online any content that they want. Uh, The content we know um, from different pieces of research between 40 and 88% is aggressive. Uh, And so one of those pieces of research was to this really interesting thing where they looked at where the aggression was targeted and they showed that 94% of the aggression was targeted at women and 95% of the time, so almost every time, the woman responds with either a neutral or a pleasurable response. Uh, So kind of, you know, essentially says that was awesome, yes, please, again. Uh, And we know that um, every essentially every platform that young people uh, engage porn with has has aggressive porn. And it's just so, so different. And it's really important we understand that so we can get a handle on the impacts and then how to have a conversation about it. Aggressive and or violent, which obviously is concerning at the outset, but not only that, it's the underlying messaging mm. that sex is essentially one-way traffic uh, for... Um, I'm saying this as an adult, right? Yeah. I look at it and I can see <laughs> sex is all about what what the men in mm. the um, and, and the actors, let's call them that, because they yes. are actors in the film, want and or, or perceived to want and get, and the, and the woman is about providing that. And yes. um, says, "Thank you very much for hitting me." Uh, yes. at, the, at the least, so it's the underlying messaging about mm. what sex is about and what people might want. That is as problematic in some ways. How how do you, I mean, how on earth do parents begin to tackle conversations about quite sophisticated things like this Mm. as young as they might be needing to? Or is that not where you start? Um, I think we we don't recommend that adults kind of dive straight in uh, to a conversation, but first kind of prepare themselves. Uh, And that's uh, both emotionally, but also in education. So we recommend any adult who's engaging with a young person, whether they're a parent or a youth worker, for example, uh, you know, they take a few deep breaths. Um, They take a youth positive approach, which is to look at the young person and see them for all that they are, not just for what they might be exposed to. So actually, we're seeing a generation who are really amazing in other spaces and they care about the environment and they care about social justice issues. And so we are are really positive about that. Um, So they take a few deep breaths uh, and then they, you know, kind of go, okay, it's going to be awkward. And they prepare themselves for that. And that's actually okay to just be like, it's going to be uncomfortable and I'm just going to push through that. Um, And then they ask open-ended questions. Uh, You know, they say, hey, have any of your friends seen porn? Have you ever heard that word before? Um, What do you think uh, is available online? Are you worried about any of it? Um, And and even prior to those questions, they get a little bit prepared themselves. So... They, uh, we encourage people to go to our website and and to understand the new porn landscape so that they've kind of gotten their back of their mind uh, a few of the key messages that they really want to get across, um, which is in a, you know in a non-confrontational way uh, after they've after they've explored what their young person's use might be like. The challenge with all of this is that how can I put this? 
exposure to the experiences of arousal and sexual arousal and what it is, the, the, the brain learns, right? The brain will mm. um, respond and the body will respond to yes. something that a young child might find just weird and freaky and horrible, but an older child might find sexually exciting. Mm. And one of the things I suppose you're hoping to do with your young person is in time help them grow into a respectful and skilled lover. Now, you can't do that when they're first exposed to this stuff, right? Mm. But you're needing to have a conversation about what porn is and that the feelings you're having for what you're seeing doesn't mean this is what sex is like or ought to be like or the way you should treat people. Mm. That, to me, seems to be almost the nub of the really hard challenge of all this. How do you approach those conversations? How do you say these are actors... Yes, and this isn't what it looks like in 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 a real healthy relationship. Well, you've just said it. You know, um, that is exactly what we say. Uh, you know, I think it's also important. You you touched on it before. Like it's it's important to acknowledge that a young person can feel two things at the same time. You know, they can feel confused and aroused at the same time. Uh, And we can't really shame them for arousal. You know, they're having a physiological response to seeing sexual behaviour. And they can feel, you know, some young people express feeling kind of traumatised by what they've seen, but their body also responds in this kind of pleasurable way, and they're trying to make sense of that. Um, And so we say to young people, you know, porn can make you feel lots of different things, uh, and we understand those different feelings. But what we... um, what we want to do is create a generation that are porn literate. So when they see something, or if they see something, they can kind of read the messages through it. Like, hey, actually, I don't think it is okay to hurt people, or um, I can see that there was no consent being used there, and that's a problem. Um, and exactly what you've just said, that uh, we can say to them, hey, that's not actually how it works out in real life. Uh, that's not how those how that relationship would really work. And those people are performing, they are acting. We don't actually know how they're feeling. We don't know if that is pleasurable. We know that they're being paid to respond in that way. The question of arousal, I mean, did you say that your background is in therapy, in sex therapy? Yeah. Because it's an interesting one. I, I, I'm interested in, in what one becomes aroused by early in life. Mm. And whether there's a risk that that becomes the thing that arouses you, which is another reason to be on guard about what they are seeing. They don't necessarily have the judgment straight off the bat to say, that's not okay, that's not where I'm going to, um, you know, have my fantasy or whatever, or or, or explore my curiosity. Mm. They don't have that predetermined skill set. What do we know about the importance of being careful of what they are seeing because it can become habituated. I don't want to get into sort of panic here, yeah. but, but what should you be mindful of? Yeah, I mean, I've had conversations with young people who've said um, that they believe they have developed desires based on what they've watched online. Um, that happens through, that can happen through regular use of the same kind of content. Um, so not not really sporadic use. And possibly uh, ju- use is the underlined word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. also there's a difference between, uh, you know, your friend showing you something on the bus and you seeing it every once in a while and you, you know, going every day and, and watching the same content. Yeah. Mm. So it's like, and what are you using it for? Um, 
and, and, and yeah, so there's a difference there. But the young people that I, that have said that to me, you know, they are also distressed by that. Um, you know, most of the young women and men that I have met, uh, they want to do the right thing. Like they really want to be great lovers, like you said, and they want to have good, healthier relationships. Um, and, and that's actually their desire. So they might be even concerned about what they've seen. And so if we jump in there and we're like, hey, that's wrong and bad and, and you know, you shouldn't be watching that or thinking about it, um, they might actually already feel that it's just our job to kind of guide them out of that behaviour. The other complication is that they are learning to have and manage these feelings and they're also trying to work out mentally long before they do it physically what it is that you do do. Yeah. I mean, there's almost a part of me that wishes there was some kind of age-appropriate erotica that was absolutely first class and, and <laughs> you know, that could cover both jobs, you know, the, the curiosity and, and also the, the skill because we don't want our kids learning how to make love from stuff mm. that is not made for the purposes of making love, for the mutual pleasure of, of those participating. Yes. And yeah, but they have, they have questions, you know, and mm. unless we answer some of those questions for them, they're going to go elsewhere. And, you know, I think what I say to parents sometimes is like you've got to, to some extent you've got to make a choice uh, whether you answer some of those questions or Google does. Uh, and there comes a point where, you know, they will. They will seek out the answers about pleasure, about behaviour, um, about their sexual identity. They will seek out the answers to those. And about sexual technique, to be quite blunt. Exactly, yeah. And, and, they, and, again, and they want to know that. If you get the... If you get the sort of the ethics or if you get the empathy established, can they make better decisions straight off the bat? And in some ways, is that what you're trying to do right from the start? Establishing that sex is about the mutual pleasure of Mm. those consenting to it. And what you want to be is a skilled and considerate person in in your part of that. And and, and, And to have them aware of the pain that sexual abuse and assault causes. If you can establish that empathy, can you then trust them to sort of navigate more safely? Yeah, I mean, we we really want all young people to kind of uh, to think about these four pillars of great sex, um, safety, uh, pleasure, consent, and uh, emotional connection. And I think we, we really want to build on those pleasure, those um those pillars through through their growth and development, uh, and if we, if we're just avoiding the pleasure one, for example, then they're going to seek it out. Uh, so we have to address that side of their sexuality as well, even if it is uncomfortable. How well do we teach sex ed? I mean, there's there's many parents who see this as their primary role, and they're going to be into it, um, uncomfortable or not. There are others who probably don't even really know or want to know some of mm. what's online. So so what are the options for people to help their kids get what they need? And there are online resources. Um, I really recommend uh, parents engage with their school uh, and they ask questions. For example, hey, what, does the, what, what kind of curriculum, uh, there is a sex ed curriculum, but what parts of it uh, do you communicate to, to the young people? Um, and then they can, as parents, you know, they're making an informed decision to fill in the gaps if they want to. Um, but ask questions of the school and then search online, uh, you know, as soon as you can, essentially, you know, your, your um, young boy, for example, might be 10. So you search online and see what resources are available. And there are, there are a lot um, so that we can kind of fill the gap instead of them going online to get, to get their source, to get their tools for how to have sex. You take a 
train the trainers model. Mm, what do yes. you mean by that? So essentially, uh, we believe that the adults in a young person's life um, usually have a consistent relationship with them. And so we can, you know, we could go in and we could chat to kids and do a talk, for example. But um, we really want to resource the adults who are already there and who are going to be the person who they ask questions uh, from in the future. So we go into schools or sexual health providers, like I said, or with parents, and we, we give them the tools. We give them the strategies. Uh, as opposed to us just talking to kids and then them having no adults that they can take that information to uh, who are prepared. Could you broadly outline for us how much is appropriate at each age or perhaps, you know, let's say in all cases your, your young person has come across porn online and you're talking to them about it. There's probably a very big difference between what you say to to a child who's 11 or 12 and, and one who's 15 or 16. And could you broadly just give us a couple of indications of of how much is enough for the younger child? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got three boys, uh, and so I reflect on this quite a bit. Um, because I know the stats, and, and hopefully you know, people in New Zealand will learn them too, um, I know that there's a pretty high chance that they'll see porn at 12 or younger. So uh, I will start conversations probably when they're 10. And I'll put it in age-appropriate terms. So something that I um, tell parents is, you know, porn is photos or videos of one or more people without clothes on touching themselves or another person. So it's not, uh, it's kind of, it's it's language that they can understand. Uh, doesn't sound, you know, too intense for the for the child or the young person. Um, and then you say, "Hey, what what would you do if a friend showed you something like that?" Um, or you know, do you know that you can talk to us? Uh, we are safe people. If you have questions about about sex, if you hear about it at school, then then we're happy to answer those. Um, and so you essentially are establishing that really positive, safe relationship where they can, where you can kind of keep the conversation going. At thirteen, you know they're going to hit the sex education classes. Uh, I have a this is something that we call an, call an anchoring bias, um, which is essentially that if you want to be um, the person that they refer to as their best source of information, then you go first, uh, and they will then see other bits of information through that lens. Um, so I recommend that by the time that the young person has hit high school and they're going to hear about sex, uh, you know, either you know on the field or in the classroom, that you hopefully have been their anchoring bias, uh, that you have given them the messages you want. Um, and then you're talking about those four pillars. Like I said, you know, you're talking about what great sex might be like as opposed to porn sex. Um, and you can you can prepare them uh, for some of, the, some of the content that their friends might even see, even if you think they may not see it. And you mustn't underestimate what they will see. I think um, there's one point, so porn site, it's the second most popular porn site in the world, and New Zealand has some of the highest consumption rates in the world. Mm. But even on that site, don't don't presume that's a soft porn site. That has got really, really... Um, no. So you're speaking about Pornhub? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so um, Pornhub, yeah, it's the second most popular. It's got 92 million views per day. Uh, it's really well known amongst young people, at least in the conversations that we have had. Um, the, it, there are about 25 sexual categories with various, uh, you know, various types of content available. Um, and yeah, there is a significant amount of aggression uh, and I would be really concerned about that. For sex, uh, young actors 
or young people. Yeah. Um, again, don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, Pornhub, I know, has uh, multiple scenes which uh, promoted on the homepage. And then if you do a Google search, it's the same. It's promoted. And that talks about young teens. Uh, sexual activity, and I don't know how else you can interpret young teen uh, as, a, as anything apart from someone who's under 18. Um, and that is, that's the second most popular porn site in the world. And all the top four sites have similar messaging. So you've got to roll your sleeves up and be aware. Yeah. Joe, yeah. Um, there's resources on your website as well. I know you're hoping to develop them further, but there's good resources on your website. Oh, yeah, amazing. Um, we have targeted you know, young people to resources specifically tailored to youth in their kinds of language. Uh, and then for adults, and then we also have a model for for schools that we we outline on there. Um, and we, yeah, this is a this is an evolving body of work as we've only just had the first piece of New Zealand research out in 2018. Thanks, so, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Come back and talk again. Thanks, cool. Joe Robertson, research and training lead for the Light Project. I imagine the link is on our website uh, to what they're doing. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 